because it was about 19 years ago, almost on the dot, give or take just a few weeks here, that I came to CSF for the first time. And there was a guy here named Rob McDowell who is speaking at Winter Retreat. Uh, so Winter Retreat, Rob's an amazing communicator. He's a pastor of a church in Atlanta. And Rob said, hey, here's a microphone. And he handed me a microphone and basically said, here, you come. He invited me into the CSF community, and I've been here 19 years since. Tonight, I get to do something like that. Now, Rob, when he handed me the microphone, he was actually moving to Atlanta to work at a church down there. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I, In fact, I want to do more with CSF and think God's calling us to actually even crazier new things that we've done in the past. And so, uh, but to do that... I've got to say, hey, I'm, I want to hand some things that I've been doing to uh, uh, someone that I trust and someone that I love. And so tonight, uh, even though he's not, his start date, I think, is around March 1st. I don't know, whenever we we've, we've said, somewhere in there. I know you're going on a spring break trip. Uh, he's starting in a few weeks because he's still finishing up his campus ministry in Louisville. Zach Motes is going to be here teaching. And so for those of you who don't know Zach, real quick, I'll give you his quick bio. Zach came here as a student. He was a student here at CSF for four years, then came on staff for a few years while he was also doing seminary. And, and the like, and, and worked here. He led Shift. What were you, Julie Shift? Two years? Two years? Yeah, led Shift for a couple of years on staff here. Then went to Louisville, worked at a church, Southeast Christian Church. I know some of you all from Southeast. Did college ministry there. Uh, then planted a campus ministry, much like CSF, called Ignite, Ignite the Ville, there on the UofL campus. And just within the past few months, just said, you know, I just kept hearing, God just kept saying, hey, you're supposed to go back. You're supposed to go back. And so even though he's a native of Louisville, was living up there, he just said, man, I, he he called me one, one weekend and said, I think I'm supposed to come back and be at CSF. And I was like, the Lord says, yes, you are. So come on back. So, uh, so we are just stoked to have him. And even though, like I said, he's officially starting in a few weeks, we wanted to give him a chance to teach tonight and to be here and let you all begin to get a chance to know him. Because uh, Zach is, you know, for those of you who know David House Connect, may he rest in peace. Um, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Da David's alive. He's not dead. Anyone knew David? Uh, David, you know, left at the end of the spring semester. Freshmen again are like, who is this House Connect guy I keep hearing about? But, uh, but, but Zach is here to step into our role as pastor students. And so you guys just give him a big warm welcome to CSF, Zach Motes. Whoa, what's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Wow. So I was telling Brian earlier, this is the first synergy that I've been back in the last five years. And I will tell you, a lot has changed, but it's amazing to see so many familiar faces. And to be honest, it really feels like I'm coming back home to my family. I will say, though, the thing that I don't love about Lexington, I already experienced it when I was driving in, the traffic's messed up. And people, I don't know what it is, but, but people in Lexington do not know how to drive. Can I just be honest? It's like, I don't know. I literally almost got into a wreck on New Circle because this old lady popped in front of me and I was like, what is happening? That's the one thing that I do not miss about Lexington. But I don't know you all extremely well, so I just have one quick question. Y'all ready? I just want to know really quick, what's, what is a time in your life that you've been significantly late to something? What's a time in your life that you've been late to somebody, to something? Turn to somebody next to you and answer that one question. What's a time that you've been late to something in your life?
All right, so I don't know about you all, but I'm just like paranoid of being late. I don't know what it is. I hate being late. And I remember there was this one time, and I was going on vacation with a group of friends. We went to Florida, and we're staying in this Airbnb. But my friends left the day before that I did. And so I was just staying in this Airbnb alone, and I remember that I had to get up extremely early the next morning to catch my flight. My flight was at 6 a.m. And so that means I just had to get to the airport like 4.30-ish. And again, I'm just paranoid about being late. And so I set like seven alarms on my phone and went to bed, got up, looked at my clock, and it was 45 minutes before my flight was about to leave. And I was like, what happened? My phone didn't charge overnight. And so I was like, I got to do something. So I quickly called an Uber. I threw some gum in my mouth just so I didn't have stanky breath. I quickly packed up everything and I ran out the door. My Uber came, picked me up, got me to the airport. And I got to the airport, went through security, and they literally just looked at me, looked down at my boarding pass, looked back up at me, and they're like, you're never going to make this flight. But it was like just enough time. It's like just enough time where like you could start running and just barely make it. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to try it. And so I took all of my stuff from security, had my shoes in my arm, had my belt in my hand, and I was carrying my carry-on luggage that had a broken wheel. And it's like you've seen those people that are sprint, dead sprinting through the airport, and you like vow you will never be that person. But that was me. And so I was literally like hobbling along, shoeless, carrying my luggage with a broken wheel, sprinting to get to my gate. And I got to my gate, and I was literally like out of breath. And I put my boarding pass on the counter, and, and the lady was literally just like, she just pointed. She didn't even say anything. And I looked out the window, and my, and my plane was leaving. And I was like, what? And so I, I had to spend 12 hours in the airport to catch my next flight. But I think the spiritual reality is true for us in this, is that we're often asleep to the things of God that we actually end up missing our calling. We're so asleep to what actually God is doing in our lives that we miss the thing that we're supposed to do. And so tonight, we're just going to talk about what it means for Jesus to call us and for what it means for us as a community, individually, to actually be ready when he does. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 4, 18 through 20. Matthew 4, 18 to 20, it'll be on the screen. And it says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just ask that you would remind us what it means to actually be called by you. That we wouldn't be so spiritually asleep that we would miss the calling that you have on our lives. And God, we ask that you speak to our hearts, that you would open our ears and just prepare us for the rest of the semester, whatever it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So for some quick context, Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist. He's already been tempted in the desert for 40 days. 
And he's already really beginning to start his public ministry at, that, at this point. And so what he's doing, he's creating this heavenly strategy that he's received from God the Father. It's a strategy that he will implement in his life to actually carry the mission of the kingdom way beyond his life on earth. And that's where we end up. And so really what we're going to do is talk about three ways that the call of Jesus reveals the heart of God because we believe that if you actually study the life of Jesus, you see the heart of God. So we're just going to look at three ways the call of Jesus on your life reveals the heart of God for you. And the first one is this. It's really simple. It's the invitation of Jesus is personal. The invitation of Jesus is personal. In verse 18, it says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. See, according to Jewish tradition at this point, most students, they actually searched for a rabbi. They actually sought someone out that they really wanted to learn from. They were the ones to go up and choose the individual that they would spend ultimately most of their lives learning from to become a teacher of the law. And they would go through this rigorous judicial, or I'm sorry, Jewish educational system, and they would spend their early life learning, memorizing the Torah. This is the first five books of the Bible. And by, by age 10, Jewish children would have already memorized these five books. And so this educational system was extremely rigorous at this point. David Biven is a prom, prominent Jewish scholar. He says it like this. Teachers of the Torah were the most esteemed, the most respected in Jewish society. And the goal of every child was to become a sage, a recognized teacher of the Torah in society. And the competition was extreme. But it was ultimately up to the rabbi to determine if the student that was approaching them was actually worthy enough to be their disciple based on their performance? Were they worthy enough to actually emulate the rabbi for the remaining five, ten years of their lives? But it's clear from the passage, what do you notice? Andrew and Peter, they didn't make the cut. They didn't make the cut. They weren't traditional disciples. They weren't good enough. If they had been capable enough, if they had been intelligent enough, they wouldn't have been on a boat fishing with their dad. They didn't make the cut. It's like when I was in middle school. Everyone loves those uh, middle school days. We were doing tryouts for the basketball team. And back in, the, the, back in those days, like, the middle school basketball team was everything. It's like you got a free pass to do pretty much whatever you want. It's like you could skip class. You could eat lunch wherever you wanted to in the building. It's like epic. It's like you wanted to make the middle school basketball team. And my best friend Nick and I were extremely excited because we had spent most of the summer, most of the school year really practicing our shot. We're like, okay, well, this is our time. This is our year. And so the day of tryouts, we're doing, the, we're doing a, just a scrimmage game. And we're both going like really hard. We're like, we're both going to make the team. There's only like three spots on this middle school basketball team. And, like, we're both going to make it. Like, we're going to go hard, and we're going to make this middle school basketball team. And there was a time that I remember there was this loose ball, and I was, like, dead sprinting to get to this loose ball. I dove for it, smacked it into the leg of the opposite player. It went out of bounds, so we got the turnover. I was, in, I was basically on the, that, the line, so I got 
to throw it in, but I was throwing it into my friend Nick. And it was like, this is his time to shine. So we were down, I think, by one basket at the point. And I remember throwing it to my friend Nick. But for some reason, he was going the opposite direction. And all of us literally were, were on the court and we're just yelling. We're like, Nick, Nick. And I don't know if he thought that we were cheering for him or he just didn't hear us. But he started sprinting, dribbling in the other direction, clear lane to the, to the basket and made a layup. But the problem is he made the basket for the other team. And we ended up losing that game. And needless to say that Nick did not end up making the middle school basketball team that year, unfortunately. But here's the reality. The invitation to discipleship is based on your kingdom potential, not your current performance. The invitation to discipleship is based on your kingdom potential, what you're able to do in the future, what what God's call is on your life, how obedient you can be in the future, not your current performance, not the things that you've done in the past. See, Jesus invites you into a life of discipleship, not for what you do, but for who you can become. And there's nothing special about Andrew, nothing really special about Peter. And in fact, it was kind of just the opposite. They were the outcasts. They were the ones who didn't make the cut. They were the ones that weren't good enough to actually become traditional disciples in the Jewish system. Nothing special about these guys. They didn't have the intellectual stamina to actually become teachers of the law. And so they were relegated to fishing on a boat with their dad. Acts 4.13 says this, that these disciples were unschooled, ordinary men. Basic, nothing special. But Jesus called Peter and Andrew and the other disciples because he saw their kingdom potential. And he knew that he could pull the gold out of their hearts and transform them into something that would transform the rest of the world. Jesus was building a disciple-making movement. And he was looking for hungry hearts. People that were willing to step in and say yes and go on this journey along with him. And he was looking for people to carry the mission of the kingdom way beyond Jesus' life on earth. And it was those guys who made the cut because of their potential. And so Jesus gave them a personal invitation based on how Jesus believed that he could actually help them grow into their calling. So for Christmas every year, I go to my grandparents and my grandma has this really goofy tradition where she just wants me to open up one present before any of the other presents. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I pretty much know exactly what it's going to be every year. And it's given to me and my brother in a, the same box that she uses pretty much every year. And this box is like the only way I know how to describe it is like this thin, flimsy in the middle, cardboard box. Like you don't even have to shake it. You know exactly what it is. And my brother and I just kind of oblige. and like, okay, fine. It's going to be the exact same thing. We know what it's going to be. And so we rip open the present. And my grandma is just like sitting there with that like glowing face, like so excited for you to open up the present that she got. Y'all know. Grandmas are like, they're just like that. And so we're just opening up this gift. And every year it's the same thing. It's this cheesy graphic T-shirt with some random print on it. It's a T-shirt that like we're never going to wear. It's like there was one year we got a t-shirt that said Myrtle Beach on the front in huge letters. And my brother and I looked at each other and we're like, Grandma, we didn't go to Myrtle Beach. 
And she was like, yeah, no, it's from my vacation. I wanted you to have it. It's like, okay, great. To make it even worse, this T-shirt that she always gave us every year was typically two sizes too big. It's like, okay, well, first of all, we're not going to wear it anyway because it has this cheesy graphic print on the front. And to make it worse, it's way too big for us to even wear. And always, she, she just says this phrase. She's like, don't worry. You'll grow into it. And I'm like, I don't want to grow into this T-shirt. <laughs> but here's the reality. You see, the Christian life is like an oversized T-shirt. The Christian life is like an oversized T-shirt. It's something that you grow into the more that you walk with Jesus. And so I found this at a store. I had to go to the big and tall store just to get this. This is it's a pretty large T-shirt, but this is what it is. I'm just going to put it on just for effect. Should I? I don't know. I didn't try this. It's like, whoa. Now, this is slight exaggeration of what my grandma would have got me, but it's like this is what it feels like. You see, the Christian life is like an oversized T-shirt. And to be honest, to be honest, you might feel really uncomfortable in it. You might not look like you actually belong in the, the heavenly clothes that God's given you to wear. And you're walking around in this thing, you're like, okay, well, this, this feels like a little awkward at times. This doesn't feel right. It might feel a little, like, too daunting. Maybe it's a little too overwhelming. Maybe it's a little too challenging. But if you remember Peter, he didn't just preach to 3,000 people overnight in the book of Acts. He was given something to wear, his kingdom calling that he actually had to grow into. And if you all remember the life of Peter, what happened? He denied Jesus three times. He was the one that stepped out of the boat, but then like, he, he locked eye contact with Jesus. And then when he stopped, he started sinking. He was the one who was rebuked by Paul. For not what? Sitting with the Gentiles? It's like, this dude's messed up. But Jesus gave him his kingdom calling, knowing that at some point that he would be growing into it. And as you keep clothing yourself with heaven, yeah, for a little bit, it's going it's, it's gonna to feel awkward. It might not feel like it actually fits you. But as you keep wearing your kingdom calling you'll start to actually look more like Jesus and you'll start to grow into the thing that you're made for. 1 Peter 2.2 says this, like babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Philippians 1.6 says this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're, bring, we're being transformed into the image of ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory to glory to glory, all by just choosing to actually put on the kingdom calling that God's given you. But can I be honest, just for a brief moment, I feel like some of you don't want to put on your kingdom calling because it doesn't fit your aesthetic. It's like, I don't want to wear this because it's actually not me. You want to look like you have it all together. Maybe you're the student athlete, the fraternity guy. Maybe you've been to church your entire life. You're like, I don't want to wear this because it's going to make me look ridiculous on campus. Like if you actually started walking like Jesus walked on campus, 
You'll be so afraid of the opinions that people have of you that you actually refuse to wear the kingdom calling that you've received. You don't want to start wearing something that makes you look radically different. Can I just tell you, I I believe that God has something more for you. And maybe some of you all are so afraid to actually put on this kingdom calling because you you don't even feel worthy enough to put it on. You don't want to put on this kingdom calling because you're like, I'll never grow into this thing. It's so big, it's so massive. And you're discouraged in faith because you feel disqualified by your past and you refuse to even try to put something on that God's given you. You're walking around too ashamed to even wear this thing. Scripture says that God has cast your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. God has more for you. So the invitation of Jesus is personal and the, and the future with Jesus is hopeful. I'm going to take this off real quick. The future with Jesus is hopeful. Scripture says this, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. This is verse 19. So one of my friends did, he did his taxes on TurboTax one year. Do any of you all do your own taxes? Okay, a few accountants in the room. I'm kind of impressed. I love it. He was doing his own taxes on TurboTax. And he noticed for some reason that if he put a particular number in one of the lines, he would receive money back from the government. And then if he, if he put a different number in the same line, he would owe the government money. And so obviously what did he do? He put in the number that would actually give him money back. Here's the thing. A couple weeks later, he got his check in the mail, but he also got a call from the IRS. (laughs) And he literally was on the phone for an entire hour talking to the IRS, explaining, confessing how he just accidentally clicked a key and all of a sudden it just happened to spit out the wrong number. And he blamed it on the TurboTax system. And he was like, I'm sorry, what, what do you want me to do? And the IRS on the phone, they were like, well, you could, you could, you could possibly get audited. They are like, you could possibly go to jail unless you, you, unless you pay the money back. And so he was so determined to make it right with the IRS that he was ultimately willing to do whatever it took. Because he was like, I'm not going to jail. It's like, I'm a senior in college. I have the rest of my life to look forward to. But then... He heard the IRS say three basic words, Walmart, money, gram. And instantly he knew on the phone it was a scam. Like, first of all, if y'all don't don't know this, please jot this down somewhere. The IRS will never call you. The IRS will never call you the only correspond by physical mail. In case you all ever get a call from the IRS, it's not the IRS, I promise. And rule number two, rule number two is also just as easy. It's really don't cheat on your taxes. <laughs> it's that easy. And you don't have to worry about anything. But sometimes, can I, can I just say this? Sometimes I actually, I think that we believe as a Christian community Sometimes I think we, we believe, whether we say it out loud or not, that this Christian life is a scam. That this life of discipleship is, 
is actually not what it says it's doing. Have you ever felt like that? You're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't even know if I trust God. I don't even know if I have faith. I don't even know if I want to go to discipleship group. I don't know. I don't know if I really believe that this Christian life following Jesus will actually get me to where I want to be. I feel like it might be a scam. That ultimately I have to lose myself in the entire process and I'll, I'll be caught for some reason in this really vulnerable moment getting so far down the road and ultimately not, not panning out the way that I even thought it would. It's like that all this time, all this effort, all this energy going to CSF, raising my hands in worship, going to group, letting people into my life, is it really worth it? Is it worth it? So Jesus said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. But you're like, where? Like, where are we actually going? Jesus, tell, like, tell me where you're taking me so I can actually know. I don't know if you all have a habit of doing this, but whenever I get in the car, I don't know. It's, it's literally like a default in my life. Every time I get in the car, I pull up Google Maps. First of all, Google Maps is way better than Apple Maps, but that's a separate conversation. And I just pull up Google Maps. And I'm like, I've lived in Louisville my entire life. But I don't know why. Every destination, I literally just pull up Google Maps and type in where I'm going. I'm like, what, what am I doing? I know where I'm going. But I think we want to be ultimately certain of every next direction, every next step, every turn, so that we won't be caught by surprise. But the life of Jesus and what he's calling you into, come follow me, it's not going to always be that certain. And I think the challenge is we're, we're so conditioned to expect what happens next that we miss what God's doing now. We're so conditioned to expect what we're going to do in the future that we miss actually what he's doing right in front of us. And when we don't know where we're going, we, we end up taking matters into our own hands. And we start creating our own direction for ourselves. But let's be honest. The way you're going isn't working. Can we just say that? Like in general. Like the way you're going isn't working. Between the TikTok scrolls, the hinge dates, the fraternity parties, the vapes between class. Listen, I know. The Netflix binges, the late night snaps. I, listen, I know. It's not working. The, the like five hours of playing video games, it's like, y'all, the direction that you're going isn't working. And you end up choosing a major based on how much you can make. You end up getting into a relationship based on how much you can get. And you end up doing things based on how much you can actually put on your resume. But I just want you to stop just right now for a brief moment. Just stop. And if you could think and just reflect, is the future that you're creating really the future that you want? Or is it just the easiest? Is it just the thing that feels the best in the moment? Is the future that you're creating right now in your life really the future that you want? See, the greatest deception of all, I believe the greatest scam of this generation is really that, that we believe that we have the power and the fortitude to do everything on our own. We can do it. It's like, okay, you're the, you're the governor scholar. You got a full ride here. You can do it. You're the engineer. You can do anything you want. You're the 
crypto enthusiast, the bodybuilder, the social media influencer, the student athlete, whatever it is, you're, you're creating this life for yourself, the future, because you actually believe deep down that you, your way is better than God's way. But here's the truth. Our way leads us to a hopeless end. But God's way leads us to an endless hope. Our way always is going to lead us to a place of hopelessness if we take it down further enough. But God's promise is this. He, he wants to bring you into a future that is way greater than you can ask, think, or imagine. You see, Jesus became sin for us. God stepped into humanity. He put on all the, bo- the, the bodily form that you know today so that you could understand that God is with you. Emmanuel is God with us. God stepped into humanity. He stepped onto the cross. And he bears all of the sin that, that you've ever committed in your life. Every bad thought, every negative action, everything that you've ever felt in your soul that was heinous, evil, Jesus bared it all on the cross for you. And I'm sure many of you, you're like, okay, yeah, Zach, I get it. I've heard it. I've heard it. That's why we're here. But I just want to remind you, if you don't continue to remind yourself of the gospel every day, every day, that Jesus actually died for you, there's nothing that you can do, nothing that you can achieve, Nothing that you can fight for that will actually get you the kind of salvation that he's already promised. Jesus died the death that you should have died so that we can have a life that we don't deserve. So that we can have resurrection life. And I get it. You're like, okay, yeah, I've heard it before. But do you actually believe it? And do you believe it so much to the core of your being that it's actually changing what you're doing in college? See, I believe that Jesus changes your future when you actually take steps in faith. Jesus will change your future, y'all, if, you've te- if you take steps in faith. Jesus creates a future for you by painting a picture of what life can actually be. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. What does he do? He's giving Peter and Andrew this picture of what it is that they'll actually become. They're not just going to fish in the boat with their dad. No, they're going to become fishers of men. Jesus is going to transform their lives, but guess what? Jesus gave them a picture to actually walk into so that they would know the kind of life that they could live with him. And the same thing happened when God gave Abraham a picture. And he brought Abraham outside, and he had him look up. He had him look up to the vastness of the universe. And God had Abraham count the stars in the sky. And God told Abraham, bro, you're going to be the father of many nations, but I'm not just telling you that. I want you to see it. I want you to know exactly what you can, what you can become in the kingdom. And I believe that when you're finally able to see the picture that God has for you, everything else will, pair, will pale in comparison. Porn, y'all, porn isn't that enticing anymore because you realize the kind of dad that you're going to become. Sleeping with that guy doesn't make sense anymore because you realize your value in the kingdom. The career doesn't excite you anymore because you realize what you're made to do and that you're tired of pleasing your parents, you're tired of pursuing money, 
and you realize that you want to pursue Jesus. Psalm 73 says this, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on the earth. He's promised you a glorious destiny. You see, who you become on your own is a shadow of who you can actually become with Jesus. Who you become on your own is merely a shadow of what you can actually become when you really start following Jesus. To really walk in the kingdom future that you have. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You see, the call to the future might be hopeful, but it always comes at a cost. And it means you have to die to your past life. It means you have to die to the things that you found pleasure in. You have to die to the things that you used to love. It means leaving a group of friends, leaving a relationship, going in a different direction from this career that you knew that you wanted to do. You start longing for a new reality. You start dreaming about a new hope. You start searching for a new picture. I think Andrew and Peter were, they were desperate to get out of the boat, y'all. They didn't make the cut with the other rabbis, but they made the cut here. And when Jesus called them, he was calling them into a future of hope. And they actually said yes, because they were desperate to do something epic. They didn't want to stay in the boat any longer. And I believe this, if you're desperate enough to need God, you'll be ready enough to follow him. If you're actually desperate enough to hear his voice, if you're desperate enough to actually need God, you'll be ready enough to follow him. So a couple questions. Can you hear him calling you to something greater? Can you hear him beckoning you to a kingdom future? For some of you tonight, I really believe that Jesus is calling you to repent. It's like, I've been doing this thing in my life for so long. It's like this thing that I love that I don't want to get rid of, the thing that's closest to my heart. I really think Jesus is calling you to give it up. Are you willing to do it because of the picture that you see in the kingdom? And maybe for some of you, you need to start walking in confident boldness of what you're made to do. I'm just assuming that there's some leaders in this room right now that haven't been walking confidently in the calling that God's given you. Why, are you. why are you stepping back? Why are you shying away? God's calling you to actually carry the leadership gift and authority on campus. And some of you as leaders, you need to step up because it's what you're made to do. So if we know that Jesus is giving us a personal invitation to a hopeful future. Ultimately, the response to Jesus is immediate. The response to Jesus is immediate. Scripture says this, Jesus called them, and immediately, immediately, without excuse, without hesitation, they jumped out of the boat and started following Jesus. The call of discipleship requires immediate action but it doesn't happen until you actually realize the greater thing that you're being called into. So for many of you, I think you're, you are so content where you are. You're like, you're so content sitting in this seat, coming on a Thursday night, 
coming to maybe CSF occasionally, I don't know what it is, but you are so content with your life. It's the same group of friends playing the same video games, going to the same places on Friday night, talking about the same people, the same drama, maybe different names, but it's the same conversations. And I really believe that God wants to shake you out of what you've been used to. You see, the spiritual growth, is, it's happening around you, and you, for some reason, you're wondering, like, why I'm not there yet. And you see all these other people growing, and you're like, I'm just sitting here, and I have no idea. It's because you're too comfortable in your seat. And you end up doing this. You, you just convince yourself, I'll catch up later. I'll deal with this sin later. I'll really lay my life down later. But days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and semesters go by. And you're sitting in the same spiritual stagnancy that you were last semester. And you wonder why nothing's happening. I believe that when you prioritize your comfort, you miss your calling. When you prioritize your comfort, you actually miss your calling. It's like your life is on autopilot, cruise control. You keep doing the same things. And, and then after a while, you look up, years go by, and you're like, why, why am I still in the same place? Your unwillingness to take a real step in faith out of the boat prevents you from the true life transformation that God actually has for you. Do you believe, do you actually believe that God wants to do something epic in your soul? We'll close with this. I believe we've all been there. We've all been in a place where life has just wrecked us. Y'all, we've gotten tossed. I get it. I've been there. There's been a desert in your soul, disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment. It's overwhelming. I was hoping to be dating by now. I was hoping to have that ring by spring. I was hoping to be further along in my faith than I am right now. I thought I'd be healed by now. I didn't think that I would be battling with the exact same, same sin that I've been battling for the past 10 years. There's a desert that's existed in our souls and we don't know what to do. The dryness of faith, it's the arid hopelessness of our situation. It's left us empty, uninspired, and fruitless. And we live day to day, hoping to arrive safely at death. See, the Atacama Desert is located in Chile. In case you all didn't know, geography majors out there, it's South America. And this place is the driest place on earth. And parts of the desert and the surrounding lands might not receive any drop of rain for up to five straight years. But there are dormant seeds in the dry soil beneath the surface of this desert. And occasionally, occasionally there's this huge, massive rainfall whereby the entire desert receives 10 years of rain in 10 hours. Can you all imagine that? 10 years of rain in this desert in a matter of 10 hours. What once was arid land void of any vegetation, becomes overrun by beautiful, beautiful flowers because of the dormant seeds that exist beneath the surface of the soil. And this immediate, 
This immediate high concentration of rain produces a super bloom, it's what it's called. It's a super bloom. It's, it's it, the, the amount of rain, the high concentration of rain in such a short period of time awakens the dormant seeds that exist beneath the surface. And my encouragement to you tonight is to seek God with such radical intensity, with such urgency, with such immediacy, that what would take place in your life in the next 10 years would happen in the next 10 months. Can you imagine if you actually pursued God so much that what would actually take place in your life spiritually over the next 10 years could happen in 10 months? How transformed would you be? How transformed would campus be? How transformed would your family be, your, friends group, your friend group be? Can you commit to actually pursuing God with such immediacy and urgency that would normally take place in 10 years can take place in 10 months? What's this mean? It means start now. It means don't wait. It means tonight, when you go back home, start confessing sin. It means tonight, when you go back home, just start praying instead of jumping on to play Fortnite. It means start reading the Bible tonight and stop procrastinating. Do you actually believe that God wants to have and establish and declare a super bloom in your life that will completely transform the world? I believe that there are dormant seeds right now in your life. I believe that there are things right now that God has deposited in you and he's waiting. He's longing for you to open up your chest and let him speak in to let him breathe the life of the kingdom on your soul so that there, there could be a super bloom in your life that completely changes everything around you. Do you really want him? Are you hungry for him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just ask that you just remind us what it means to actually be called by you. That you would give you would give us this divine hope for the future in such a way that it cannot be denied. That you would remind us that the call of discipleship is one of a personal invitation because you know where we are. You know that we're sitting in this room. You know what we've been battling with. You know what we're going through. You know what our dreams are. You know what we need healed in our lives, God, you just know. And we just ask that tonight that there would be a super bloom in our souls that would completely change the rest of our lives. Because without you, Jesus, we can do nothing. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to transition into a time of worship, but um, before we do that, um, our prayer team is going to be um, up at the front, down by the TVs in the corners. Um, and there were some really amazing th truths brought to light tonight.